Do you have thousands of important photos, videos, and documents scattered across your many devices or hidden away in shoeboxes? That is no way to preserve your family's history. MyLeo Photos brings all your memories together in one place to be easily and safely organized and shared. To learn more about how MyLeo Photos can help preserve your family legacy, visit MyLeo.com slash FTM. That's M-Y-L-I-O dot com slash FTM. Subscribe today and receive free gifts valued at $80. Your memories deserve MyLeo Photos. Welcome to the May 2023 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. I'm Lisa Louise Cook. And since it's May, that means it is National Photography Month. So in this episode, we are going to be taking a look at family photos from a lot of different angles. Robbie Gore is the author of a new online article at FamilyTreeMagazine.com. It's called In Death, Immortal, the Victorian Tradition of Postmortem Photography. And he is here to tell us about the history of these unusual photographs and how you might be able to find some. Then in our Family History Home segment, Maureen Taylor, also known as the Photo Detective, will be here to talk about the best way to save and preserve original photo prints. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, this episode is sponsored by MyLeo.com. And founder and CEO David Vaskovich is here to explain how he uses MyLeo to organize and share photos. And you can too. And then we're going to wrap things up over at the editor's desk with Family Tree Magazine's e-learning producer, Amanda Epperson. She's going to tell us about an exciting new course they've got coming up on photo editing and doing it the right way. Well, as always, we're kicking off our episode with some tree talk, and we do that with Rachel Christian. She is the social media editor at Family Tree Magazine. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Lisa. How are you doing? Doing great. We're going to be talking about photographs in this episode. And I know that you've always got your finger on the pulse of what's going on out in the world of genealogy. I'm guessing maybe you've found some things on this topic? I have indeed. Uh, Yes, as you mentioned, May is National Photography Month, which means it's a great opportunity to research and preserve your old photos. But it's also a great opportunity to consider taking new photos. Um, As family historians, we can be so focused on the past that we forget to document the family history that is happening around us every day. And as the saying goes, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. So this month is a great opportunity to grab your smartphone or your camera and document family history around you through photography. To that end, uh, there are a few video sessions available through the RootsTech Video Library that talk about what and how you should be documenting family history using photography. Uh, One is by photographer Tracy Clark, and it's all about how to document your family's life using the camera on your smartphone. And the other is by Jens Nielsen, who is a longtime photographer and business owner, who talks more about how photos preserve the past and the present. So links to both of those will be in the show notes. We also have some great photography resources available on Family Tree Magazine's website, including a checklist of what things every family historian should photograph. So that will be in the show notes as well. And next up, the 1931 Census of Canada is 
coming around the corner. It will be ju- it will be released June first. So May is a great month to prepare for that. It's a great time to double down on your Canadian ancestors and develop a list of research questions in advance of the census release. We've found a few maps of the census districts uh, and subdivisions through Internet Archive, and I'll make sure the links to those are in the show notes as well. You can follow the progress of the census release on the Library and Archives Canada website. They have a page where they describe each step of the process and tell you where they are in the preparation of the census. So lots to look forward to this month and lots to take pictures of. Absolutely. You know, I I know a lot of people out there have really been looking forward to this 1931 census. It's exciting to see it coming out. We got our 1950 this year, actually last year in in, uh, the U.S. So it's an exciting time to find new genealogy records. Uh, Thank you so much, Rachel. We will look forward to talking to you next month. Thanks, Lisa. It's very common for us to take thousands of photos of living family and friends with our phones. But as odd as it sounds, back in Victorian times, it wasn't uncommon for photos to be taken of deceased family members. And here to tell us more about the post-mortem photographs that we may find in our old family scrapbooks is Robbie Gore. He is a genealogist and a retired school teacher. Hi, Robbie. Hi there. Well, this is a really uh, unique topic, maybe one that is not first and foremost on people's minds, but it may be something that they run into. How did the topic of postmortem photographs get on your radar? Uh, just doing my regular genealogical research, I came across some old photographs and was really startled when I discovered uh, one of them was the photo of an infant in a coffin. And uh, when I did research, I discovered that it was a child who had died in infancy um, in 1867 and had the photograph taken by grieving parents as they had no other uh, remembrance of the child. And that led me to start searching to see if there were other such photographs uh, amongst my varied ancestors. Yeah, that's a really unique find. And I could see how it just you start to pull that string and start to go down the path of learning so much more about it. And I know you have. What's what's the history of postmortem? How did all this get started? And Well, it's all tied up to the invention of photography. The first image was produced in 1822 by a French inventor. And uh, following his death, his research partner, a gentleman by the name of Louis Daguerre, discovered a process of photography that would later be named after him. And he was the first to uh, reveal photographic images in 1839, just two years after Queen Victoria ascended the throne. And so these images became uh, very popular and fashionable quickly because they were much less expensive than commissioning a painted portrait and available to a wider section of the population. And because they were tied to Queen Victoria's reign, they also became connected to a lot of the detailed customs and traditions uh, surrounding the Victorian era and especially uh, around uh, the deaths of family members. Yeah, when I think of Victorian era, I think 
they were very much into keepsakes, you know, whether they braided hair and put that in a frame. So this really makes sense that they, it was just one more way to kind of have a keepsake that they could keep with them for years to come. When did it start going out of style? Postmortem photography probably started to decline in popularity uh, at the beginning of the 20th century. There was a development of personal cameras and an increased affordability and accessibility of the whole photographic process by more people. As a result, families were taking many photographs uh, regularly of things that were happening in their daily lives and the need for taking a photograph of someone who died who had never been photographed before just wasn't as essential as it had been before. There were still examples that you can find through the uh, mid-20th century of people taking casket photos or funeral photographs, but these really became less frequent as the 20th century rolled on. That makes a lot of sense because when photography first came in, if, if people were passing, they you're right, they may never have had their photograph taken or just one or two. So the idea that they could take more, I could see how that wasn't as urgent of a need. And gosh, you think about these days, <laughs> people take hundreds every day, yes. it seems like. Yeah, the photography trend really evolved. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it means that any of us could be looking through an old family album and come across one of these photos. Is there any trick to spotting it? I imagine, and I think I've heard that not every deceased person is necessarily in, in a casket, right? That's true. There were uh, two main styles of uh, postmortem photography. One of the most common techniques was called the last sleep, where the deceased's eyes were closed and they were posed reclining on a bed or a settee or in the arms of a family member, uh, giving the impression of a peaceful rest because the Victorians uh, believed that death was very similar to the eternal sleep. Um, later, of course, they did pose them in the coffin or the casket, and uh, the results were sometimes hand-colored or tinted to make the deceased look a little more lifelike and to hide some of the realities of the illness and the death that had taken them. And the second technique that was used very often were called mourning tableaus, uh, where subjects were posed in realistic or lifelike poses. Often they were seated instead of reclining and in settings together with living family members or holding a toy or some favorite possession. And often the eyes of the deceased remained open and the idea was to evoke a recollection of the deceased as as they were when they were still alive. In a way, there's a little sure. bit of potential deception happening there in that it might be challenging for us to identify, is this person really alive? Do you have any tips for that? Absolutely. Can be tricky, as you said. So you've got to really take a look at the picture and look at some of the details that are there. Postmortem photography has subjects that usually have a, a blank facial expression, and sometimes the eyes are staring off or are closed. But that doesn't necessarily mean you've discovered a postmortem photography on its own. That just could be a, a bad luck uh, photograph. Um, right. Check also to see how the subject is posed. Are they lying down or reclining as though they are resting or sleeping? Or perhaps they're 
posed in an awkward position, um, leaning up against the side of a chair or having cushions or something seemingly propping them in place. Sometimes the subject is uh, cradled or held in position by another living person. And when you look at the subject of the photo, you want to check to see if they have dark circles around the eyes, if they appear pale or emaciated. Those could all be signs of an illness that had been the cause of their death. Postmortem photographs have usually also been retouched with color uh, to make cheeks and lips appear rosy and healthy. And of course, um, if there is a coffin or a casket in the photo, that is, pun intended, a dead giveaway (laughs) to identifying a postmortem photograph. Yes, exactly. I actually have one where somebody is off camera and you can see their arm and they're propping the baby up, you know, from behind and like a a blanket or something trying to to shield that. Um, Where can we find postmortem photographs if they're related to our family, but are there other places besides our own family scrapbooks? Oh, absolutely. But starting at home and looking through your own albums is always the genealogical starting point for any research. Uh, Once you've uh, checked through what you have, and the older the album, the more likely you are going to be to locate a postmortem photograph, then you can extend your search to other family members. Another branch of the family may have possession of photos or albums that they inherited from a common ancestor, or they may have received postmortem photos sent to them at the time. Uh, You can also check with uh, the archives at local libraries, museums, and other municipal collections where photos may have been donated. You can also try searching online, post some queries, uh, put some messages on some forum boards. There are, surprisingly, a lot of postmortem photographs for sale online. So you can check out some of those online selling sites that deal in historical artifacts like eBay, eBid, Etsy, Shopify, and you might just might uh, get lucky and find something. Yes. In fact, just a simple search of postmortem photo at eBay is over 1,100 results. And uh, I, I find that if you add maybe a town that your ancestors were from, or even just the surname that's written on the back, they might include that in their description as well, right? Yes, absolutely. And you'll find a lot of collectors are online. Um, And if you contact them personally, they can probably give you more information about uh, what they're holding than they advertise on the selling site. That's a great idea. And those of you listening, you can get more information too about this interesting topic. Robbie has an article that has been published on the familytreemagazine.com website, and we will have a link in our show notes to that. Robbie Gore, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for coming by and uh, sharing your expertise on post-mortem photos. Thanks for having me. A lot of people find the topic a bit macabre or morbid, but when you understand the reasons that the Victorians began this tradition, it becomes very relatable and understandable and gives us a a rare insight to the hearts and minds of our ancestors who were involved in it. Very much so, an important piece of the family history. Thanks again, Robbie. Thank you.
In this family history photo segment, we're thinking about the photos that are around our home. So I've invited, of course, my friend Maureen Taylor, the photo detective, back to the show to help us answer some questions about what to do with all these old photos around our home. Hi, Maureen. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's always fun to have you back. We, everybody's got family photos, and, and uh, many of us are trying to tease them out of our old 1970s magnetic photo albums. And I, I know I have stacks of loose photos I end up getting from my grandmother. And we got an interesting question. We put it out to on the Facebook group at Family Tree Magazine, and uh, Joy wrote in, and she says, okay, so what's the best way to save and preserve original photo prints? And I knew you'd have an answer for us, right? Yeah, I'm going to keep it simple (laughs) to not overwhelm anyone. So the original photo prints you should put in polyester sleeves, which you can buy from Gaylord.com. You can buy them on Amazon, as long as they're polyester sleeves. And then you want to scan them all because you need to have that backup of them. You don't need triple prints or double prints. You just need a good scan. And how are you going to do that? You can use a flatbed scanner. You can use the PhotoMime app, uh, which is quite handy. Uh, I just got a brand new scanner that I've been playing with. It's a scan snap. It's like a pedestal. And it's pretty cool. I just hit a button and it does it in a fraction, a fraction of the time. Wow. Like seconds. Do you still lay them down one at a time or can you stack them? Is there any way to speed it up even more? Mm, I don't like the scan snap sheet feeders because yeah. you don't want to put a 1930s print in there or an 1870s print. Now, with 1970s snapshots that have that resin coating, go ahead. Ah, That's, okay. That, that'll, they'll work for that. But I can't advocate putting any older prints through this sheet feeder. That makes sense. So scan them, sleeve them, label them. Now, if we're talking paper-based images, you want to use a 6B or an 8B pencil. And I buy those, buy, I buy like 12 at a time, you know, a little box of them on like Amazon. And then for resin-based pictures, like from what we're going to talk about in a few minutes, the 1970s, they have a plastic coating on them. Pencil doesn't work so well. So I buy something called a photo signature pen. But those are only for the back of the resin coated. And this is not a gel pen and it's not a Sharpie. It's made for photos. Interesting. You're right. Because there are times we pull something out and try to write in the back and it doesn't work. It won't won't work. (laughs) Right. It's that plastic. It's that plastic. But if you want, we can talk more about 1970s prints because, I mean, they're a problem in so many so many levels. They are, and a lot of us have them. And it's, it's, I think, one of the first questions we get is: Should we try to take them out of these kind of nasty yellowing scrapbooks, or should we leave them put? So the magnetic albums are bad. You know, mm-hmm. you can still buy them today. Unfortunately, it's a toxic sure. combination of poor plastic, poor paper, and glue. So it really sticks to your items and it can actually over time if it's like glue strips it'll actually stripe your photos it'll bleed right through Um, it can be really hard to get the pictures out but someone put those albums together and they put them together to tell a story you know so i always say intent and purpose they put them together 
what are you going to do with them? You want to document the actual order of the things in those albums first so you can recreate it in a newer album, an acid and lignin-free album. Would you document it by maybe using your camera, your your phone to take a photograph of the whole page? Yeah, that's what I actually recommend people do, that they use their smartphone and they take a picture of the whole page so they have it all laid out so then they can remove the items and then transfer them to a more stable album, which again, you can get at Gaylord. I live down the street from this uh, bindery called Rag and Bone, and they make the most beautiful albums, and they're acid and lignin-free. They're gorgeous, and they have them for all occasions, you know, like baby albums, Lisa. Oh, nice. You you know you might have a use for some of those in your family. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. New babies in the family. Exactly. And then... But when you do that, also keep in mind, sometimes you have these 1970s uh, pictures in the original processing envelopes, right? Mm-hmm. They come from the lab and you never take them out. I mean, I have some of those that they're doing pretty well, but there are negatives in those processing al- uh, envelopes. And a lot of professional organizers will tell you to toss those negatives. And that is don't. Just don't. Because a 1970s print has like a linen, like a matte linen surface to it. And the picture is kind of blurry. But if you actually scan the negative, you'll get a beautiful crisp and clear and a much more higher resolution image. Right. Yeah, you really got to keep the negatives. I've tested Good. it. It's, it's beautiful. So we could actually replace the, that terrible yes you know, photo and get a new fresh one. A lot of those, uh, I remember in the, was it the eighties? They would always give you duplicate prints. I, I started looking through some of my envelopes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got them coming out of my ears. Duplicates. Toss them. Yeah. Toss them. Or if you know someone who just scrapbooking, you know, give them to them. But the other issue is, you know, they shift, the color shifts, meaning you get red or reds and darker greens and everything goes yellow and sort of brown, all of that. And, you know, you can fix those with the MyHeritage photo tools, which are great, but you can scan that negative and get a really nice picture. That's a great idea. Okay. So we, we certainly want to document the page as it currently exists. So we know mm-hmm. what the order was and then take them out and um, get them scanned. Maybe use that negative if we still have it. We're fortunate enough to have that. And you mentioned the, the MyHeritage uh, photo correction tool. So there are more exciting kind of new online ways to really quickly fix those colors up, isn't there? Oh, there's so many, so many. And there's going to be more. I mean, this is just mm-hmm. the beginning. I mean, there are apps that are not MyHeritage, but I'm going to mention MyHeritage because everyone in the genealogy community knows about them. Right. Um, and the tools work. They're good tools for, for doing some color correction. You know, Vivipix does the same thing. They do some color correction. Well, great. So lots of great strategies. Last question, I guess, would be anything special we have to do as far as where we put these things away? Can they just go into a closet? Do we need to be worried about the environment? You always have to worry about the environment. Don't put them in the basement. Don't put them in the attic. (laughs) Find a windowless closet away from water pipes and fireplaces. Uh, Even under your bed is not a bad place to put them. Good strategy. Yeah, here in Texas, not in the attic. That's for darn sure. I can't even put the the Christmas decorations up there. Everything melts. So, (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Right. And here in New England, you don't put stuff in the basement because like July is mold season with yeah. the high temperature and humidity. Ah, great strategies. Maureen, I know you'd have answers for us to keep our family history home pristine. Thank you so much. It's always great to talk to you. Thank you, Lisa. Great to talk to you as usual. As you heard at the top of the show, this episode is brought to you by Milio. And here to tell us more about it is the founder and CEO, David Vaskovich. Hi, David. Hi, I'm excited to be here. It is great to have you here, and I'm excited to have you explain to folks what Milio is and how it's going to help them as a family historian. So Milio is an app. It's a piece of software. It's the single app that you need to keep track of a lifetime of memories, pictures for sure, videos for sure, but also documents, everything about your family and friends, all in the palm of your hands, your tablet, your computer. It's taking photographs off our phone that maybe we're taking currently a family, but we can also perhaps access all the old photos we're digitizing? Exactly. My, you know, the center of Milio is what I call the life calendar. It's a calendar of your life. And mine goes back to 1923 when my mother was born. So I have pictures of my mother as a little kid. I have pictures of me as a baby. I have my daughter's fourth grade report card. She's now 40 years old. I have uh, concert programs, and of course, I have lots of pictures, digital and otherwise, and they're with me everywhere. They're on my phone, my tablet, my computer, even when I don't have any internet, and they're private. So are all the photos then stored on the website and yet also on our computing devices? So unless you choose to put them in the cloud, there's no website. That makes us different. They're stored on your computer, your disks. Uh, So you have complete privacy. And if you choose, you can put them into the cloud in Google Drive or OneDrive, but that's a choice. So when I'm on an airplane with no internet and I want to show pictures of my grandkids to the person sitting next to me, they're on my phone. Fantastic. Okay, so how do people get started using it? What do we have to do to start using Mylio? Okay, I'm going to say two things. The easy one and the one that's a little more work, they're both easy. The easiest one is download it. Go to www.milio.com or go to the Apple App Store or go to the Google Play Store and look for Milio and get it running in your machine. Then the next one, so here, here's where people sometimes get a little stuck, and I'm going to tell you how not to be stuck. So if you've got boxes of slides, negatives, and prints, Even the thought of trying to organize all those is scary. And what I'm going to tell you is start with collecting. Start with getting them all in one place. Buy a $100 5 terabyte drive, $100, and then use Milio to start putting everything on that drive. And then when you've got everything on the drive, Milio, if you add another drive, will automatically do a backup copy in that drive without you having to do anything And now you have everything. It'll be on your phone, your tablet, your computer automatically. And then whenever you have the time, you can start organizing. But you don't have to be scared by that before you start. The top benefit is it helps you organize. For example, I showed it a picture of my mother and said it's my mother. And then it recognized the other 12,000 pictures I have of my mother automatically. So Milio can also figure out where things are taken It gives you all the facilities you need to organize things in the way you want. That's the first benefit. The second benefit is 
Milio arranges for all of your pictures and memories to be everywhere. So the pictures you take on your phone every day will just automatically be on your computer and your tablet because Milio does that. So everything is always everywhere. That's the second big benefit. The third big benefit is it protects all your pictures. So what it'll do is it'll make sure that if you give it some places to put them, disks or computers, it'll make multiple copies of your originals. So if your disk fails or your computer gets stolen or your phone gets stolen, you don't lose any of those memories. So those are the big benefits. And then there are also facilities for sharing all that with your friends and family. So for us family historians, we have a lot of photos and Milio helps us get them organized, make them available and keep them protected. David, thanks so much for helping us getting started with Milio.com. My pleasure. And the most important thing, have fun. Well, as we're wrapping up this episode, it is time to stop by the editor's desk. And today we are talking to Family Tree Magazine's e-learning producer, Amanda Epperson. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Lisa. You know, in this episode, we've been talking an awful lot about old photographs, and I know you guys have an exciting photo editing course coming up here soon at Family Tree University. Tell us about that. We do, um, Lisa. Photo editing for family historians will start in on June 12th, and it runs for one week, and it's all about photo editing. So let me give you a little bit of detail about it. There's a different lesson each day to give you something new to focus on. So we'll start with getting ready, which is introductions, helping you choose a you know appropriate photo to use, and then we're going to introduce you to photo editing, like what are the good terms and what's the purpose, like why do you actually want to edit photos? And then we will um, talk about going digital, because in order to photo edit pictures, they need to be digital. So you need to either scan older ones or use one that's already on your camera. And then we're going to talk about one touch fixes and then more than one touch fixes. So how to use those websites where you can go and just click on something and it fixes the color balance or those sorts of things. And then um, the instructor, Lisa, also walks you through using Photoshop, just more detailed photo editing that um, is um, more complicated than just a one-touch fix. And then we'll finish up with a work day where you can just have time to play with the new tools that you've learned and practice on um, the photos you've chosen. And then on the final day, there's an opportunity to learn about different projects you can do, you know, what you can do with those pictures. So putting them on quilts, putting them on mugs, turning them into coloring books, those sorts of fun things to share with your family. Oh, that sounds really fun. I mean, not just improving them, but actually using them. I, I love that idea. Okay, so this is coming up very soon, June 12th, and that's over yes. at Family Tree University. You'll have a link for us in the show notes, correct? Yes, I will. Awesome. Well, this sounds perfect, and it was a perfect addition to this episode. Thank you so much, Amanda. You're welcome, Lisa. See you next time. I'm so glad you joined me for this May episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. This is the podcast from America's number one genealogy magazine. And as always, I'm going to have links for you on the show notes webpage to everything that we talked about today. Uh, you can find the show notes at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And as a follow up to my earlier conversation with Maureen Taylor, you will soon be able to hear her interview with our own Family Tree Magazine editor, Andrew Cook, on an upcoming episode of Maureen's Photo Detective podcast. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, you can find her podcast in your favorite podcasting app. And hey, while you're in the app, how about dropping us a five star review if you're enjoying the show? That would make our day and we so appreciate you supporting the show. 
I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and you can visit me at my website, genealogygems.com. There you'll find my Genealogy Gems podcast, also in podcasting apps, and of course, the Genealogy Gems YouTube channel. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. Thank you.